Hello again, it's your friendly neighborhood host, J.T. Wheatley, back for another episode of the History Comics Podcast, this time with part two of the life of Thomas Nast, the creator of the modern political cartoon. When we last left off, Thomas Nast had uh, grown to be one of the greatest political cartoons of his era, helping champion the Union cause during the American Civil War, while also taking down the infamous Boss Tweed, who ran the corrupt uh, Tommy Hall in the New York City for many years. Now... Now we we pick up where NASA is going as he's as his highest peak starts to starts to see his downfall. Thomas Nash would also play a laurel in national politics, drawing his talent behind the presidential elections with his cartoons as a lifelong Republican. Thomas Nash would help General Grant get elected in 1872 by attacking his opponent Horace Greeley, who was a frequent target of Nash during the Tweed campaign, even depicting a cartoon of him whitewashing Tweed's many crimes. Nass viewed Grant as the honest soldier who helped save the Union and attacked his detractors at every turn. His politics were so biased, he even refused to attack Grant's administration despite numerous scandals. In return, when Nass was visited Washington in the summer of 1872, he was given a hero's welcome by Grant and his supporters, with rumors circulating that Nass was being paid by Republicans to provide his support. That same year, Thomas Nass and his wife moved to Morristown, New Jersey, where they would raise a family which eventually included five children. The Democrats would attempt to counter Thomas Nass's influence as a political artist, bringing over a well-known artist, Matt Morgan, from England to counter Nass's cartoons. Ironically, he went to work at Leslie's Illustrated Weekly newspaper, one of Nass's original employers. Both artist styles were similar, and the challenge incensed Nass, whose attacks on Grant's opponent Horace Greeley and his supporter Charles Sumner was so intense, Harper's editor Charles George William Curtis asked Nass to hold off. It was one thing to attack the corrupt official like Tweed, but Sumner was, by all accounts, a decent political official, even if his politics didn't align with Nast. Curtis argued instead for good humor over the pointed attacks in this case, but Nast refused his advice. Ultimately, Curtis was overruled by Fletcher Harper, and Nass continued his attacks unabated. So savage was Nass's attacks in his cartoons that Harper's was dubbed the Journal of Degradation, while Nass was called a libelous caricature. Nass continually attacked uh, Greenlee's character, making him look as ridiculous as possible, showing him begging for votes from the Tweed ring in one cartoon, further tying the Democrats to the Tweed corruption, while Andrew Johnson looked on next to a hooded KKK member. Nass even attacked a liberal Republican's efforts for peace with the South, more or less calling it treason over hardline Republicans like him who wished to still punish the former Confederate states. That's not to say Nass still found bits, of hu- bits for pointed humor. For example, when he was unable to find a photograph of Gratz Brown, Greeley's running rate for vice president, to use for reference, he instead just represented with a tag on Greeley's coat saying, and Gratz Browned. Perhaps to Brown's satisfaction, his face never appeared in any of Nass's cartoons as a result, but this also gave Nass a chance to mock the inconsequentialists of the vice presidential office, along with pointing out how unpopular Brown was that no one would even recognize him. Ultimately, Ulysses S. Grant was an overwhelming victory for president with Nass's contribution recognized nationwide. No less than Mark Twain praised Nass, writing a letter saying, Nass... You more than any other man won a prestigious victory for Grant. I mean, rather, for civilization and progress. Nass and Grant will become great friends, with their families regularly dining together until Grant's death in 1885. As for Grant's opponent, Horace Greeley, he would die just a few weeks later, with some even stating he couldn't handle Nass's unrelenting attacks. 
That's what inadvertently referenced this in one of his last cartoons of the campaign, We Are in the Homestretch, depicting Greeley being carried off in a stretcher while a masthead bears the phrase, the cheapest paper in the Union, in reference to Greeley's Tribune. Sadly, this cartoon appeared on October 30th, the day Greeley's wife died, which has probably contributed more to his eventual death than Nassie's cartoons. The Republicans continued to show their appreciation of Nass with Hamilton Fish, the Secretary of State, offering him a lucrative uh, post as the official American commissioner in the Vienna Exposition, which Nass would refuse despite already having a European trip planned. In another show, M.P. Chipman started a testimonial fund for Nass at $10,000 to be raised with $100 subscriptions, which Nass also stopped. It helped that Nass wasn't earning for money at, the t- at this point in his career, earning a salary of $18,000 a year by 1872. He was so popular, Harper's feared he would be poached by other papers, so they paid him $5,000 a year retainer for his exclusive artistic rights, whether he produced anything or not, along with paying $150 per cartoon with no limit on how many he could produce per year. Nass also added to his income with a $10,000 speaking tour with Red Pass Boston Lyceum, despite being terrified of public speaking. Nevertheless, he was so popular that the tour was extended several months to sell out crowds, leading to an additional $40,000 in speaking fees. He would be so valuable at Harper's, he was called the Prince of Caricaturists. Despite being only 33 years old, he was a seasoned 18-year veteran in the industry. However, he would soon see his, be past his prime in his own profession. In 1873, Thomas Nass began to suffer cramps in his hands, along with a genuine decline in health, which kept him away from his drawing board for months at a time. A trip to Europe in the Red Path Lecture Series also took him away from his work as well, as fame and fortune soon proved to be great distractions, as is the case with many successful people. Thus, his drawing output decreased sharply. This was noticed by his peers, with James uh, Gordon Bennett at the New York Herald proposing a subscription fund for Nass, joking he would given up drawing to work as a singer for Shoefly. Nass would reply with a cartoon Shoefly, showing himself batting a fly, which he depicted as Bennett. He also replied to editor uh, Henry Watterson at the Louisville uh, Courier Journal with the, journal, with the cartoon Meeting Nass and Watterson in Central New Jersey, a parody of his famous meeting at Stanley Livingston in Africa. When no more corrupt bosses or presidents to depict, though, Nass found himself the subject of many of his own cartoons at the time, further referencing his, this with the one artist's occupation gone, showing himself with his uh, hands in his pockets and nothing to do after Grant's victory. Nass wasn't helped by his devout loyalty to Grant and his administration to the point that he was for, forget his original campaigns against political corruption. While Grant was never personally corrupt... He presided over one of the most corrupt in U.S. history, with everyone from his vice president to secretary of state accepting thousands of dollars in bribes over shady government dealings. Nass would attack these scandals in his cartoons, but never with vigor as before, though he did go full force against Secretary of War William W. Bellcap after profiting $24,000 in selling shady supplies to Indians. However, this was moreover Bellcap uh, betraying the army, as Nass's father was an army man, and he would always be supportive of the military forces. Nass would continue to defend Grant himself, even producing a cartoon depicting him as a lion with others trying to dress him up as a scapegoat. Nass would find himself at the wrong side of public opinion, though, when it looked like Grant would uh, run for a third term, which many considered the move to be the move of a dictator. So much so that the office of the president would be limited to two terms less than a century later. 
Following Grant, Thomas Mast uh, helped uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, a candidate he predicted to be nominated in the cartoon, get elected in 1876, only to not like his policies, though he did keep silent at first. Hayes would, like Lincoln and Grant before him, thank Nass for his work, helping him get elected, and even try to arrange a $10,000 reward. Once again, Nass refused. Nass originally admired Hayes for being a former Union general and sound money man, and continued to support him through his cartoons, mostly in going after the Democratic nominee Samuel J. Tilden. Nass would even unjustly tie Tilden to Tweed, despite being one of his opponents, while the anti-Catholic sentiment in his cartoons continued. However, Nass would differ from Hayes when he pushed for bringing the South back into the United States fully, something that radical Republicans like Nass opposed. While this was meant as a part of a celebration of the United States' 100th birthday, Nass would instead produce a cartoon, The Republican Danger, followed by others depicting a revived Democratic Party ready to take down the Republicans. In 1877, Harper's refused to publish one of his cartoons, despite already being fully produced, which led him to leave for four months before returning. This change came about when Fletcher Harper had passed away that year, leaving Harper's weekly to his good nephews. Joseph W. Harper Jr. and John Henry Harper, who sided more with editor George William Curtis, who believed Nass's cartoons should be more aligned with the magazine's editorial positions. By 1879, Nass had made $25,000, along with an estate valuing $125,000. Despite his disappointment in Hayes, though, Nass would continue to attack Democrats and their policies, which even included General, General Winfield Scott Hancock, who was a personal friend in the 1880 Democrat nominee for president. However, this time, he focused on the party as a whole, supporting Republicans while attacking Democrats, while ignoring the candidates, as not only was Hancock a friend, but James Garfield, a Republican nominee, was wrapped up in a financial scandal Nass once abhorred. Thomas Nass was starting to face competition, much of which he inspired, such as the humor magazine, the magazines of Puck and Judge. Puck was founded by Joseph Kepler, favored by the Democrats, while Judge was found favored by the Republicans. Plus, Nass was unable to adjust to pen and ink, which Harper switched to in 1880, over pencil, while Harper's were becoming more of a family paper, concentrating more on entertainment over politics. Nass was also running out of attacks, uh, targets to attack, with his latest one, inflation, not connected with audiences like past scandals. Too bad he can't work today. The 1884 election did inspire Nass again, but it was short-lived, as Nass started to look for a way to become financially independent from the paper. Thomas Nass hoped to make his fortune investing $30,000 in Grant and Ward, whose partner was former President Ulysses S. Grant. At first, the company was successful with huge dividends, only for it to fail on May of 1884, shocking the country and Nass personally. It was later discovered that Grant was just a figurehead, while Ward was responsible for mismanaging the funds, but it, it, it disillusioned Nass just, just the same as he had put so much faith in the Grant. Perhaps a bigger surprise came in 1884 when Nass found himself supporting the Democratic nominee for president of the Republican, James G. Blaine, mainly due to his personal dislike of him. As early as 1879, Nash had published a cartoon attacking his policy on Chinese exclusion. This actually aligned with Harper's at the time, as editor George William Curtis, despite being a Republican convention delegate, led a repudiation of the Republican ticket as part of the liberal reform faction of the party, preferring to uh, no less than the Democrats over seeing Blaine elected. This was a natural backlash to Nass doing this, as he had been a surprise supporter of the Republican Party for so long, with the magazine Judge attacking him with cartoons that used his uh, previous drawings against him. 
Ultimately, the Democrat nominee, Grover Cleveland, won the first since 1856, along with being the first the being the first the NAS openly supported, which he counted as another personal victory. However, it did come at a financial cost as Harper's lost $50,000 from Republican support. Ultimately, NAS ended his run at Harper's in 1886 with a Christmas uh, cartoon. It was a loss for both as the artists in the paper made a brilliant partnership, with NAS getting a national forum while Harper's had a political voice. However, Harper's was already changing to a more family paper while NAS was seeing the end of his career. Thomas Lass would later collect his drawings in a book, Christmas Drawings of the Human Race in 1890. Nass's depiction of Santa Claus, which first appeared in 1862 as part of a campaign during the Civil War, would set the modern standard for the character, which is based on the poem The Night Before Christmas. As he did with symbols for the Republican and Democratic parties, Nass's version of Santa Claus has endured to this day, with very few alterations since. Nass also made a uh, minor, minor contribution to the picture of Uncle Sam, the human symbol of the United States, adding a goatee to his face, which has remained to this day. In 1892, Thomas Nass attempted to launch his own magazine, inheriting the New York uh, Gazette, which he acquired after he went into bankruptcy, changing it to Nass's Weekly, mortgaging his own home to do so. With this new venture, Nass attempted to support Benjamin uh, Harrison for the election as President of the United States. It would fail after seven, seven months later, shortly after Harrison lost the election, leaving Nass with thousands of dollars in debt. Nevertheless, he remembered a popular artist, with President uh, Theodore Roosevelt being a longtime admirer, calling Nass our best teacher. In response, Nass sent Roosevelt an oil painting of Santa Claus for his children in, in 1901. Roosevelt later offered Nass a position as U.S. Consul General in the Guadalajara. Ecuador in South America, which he accepted, leading to him to travel to the country on July 1st of 1902. This would be a fatal decision as yellow fever had broken out in the country, though Nass would stay on his job for months, helping numerous American officials and business representatives escape the disease. However, Thomas Nass would contract the disease himself, leading to his death on December 7th, 1902. His body was returned to the United States and interred at Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx of New York City. Thomas Nash relieved on a log legacy of political cartoons, essentially establishing the modern standard of, to this day. However, his depiction of Irish, Im, Irish and immigrants in general has led to some backlash, with his being rejected from the New Jersey Hall of Fame in 2011 because of it. The Thomas Nash Award, crea- created in 1968 by the Overseas Press Club, was awarded to the best editorial cartoons concerning international affairs, but in 2018 his name was removed from the award to his best depiction due to his depiction of immigrants. The Thomas Nass Prize is still awarded by the Thomas Nass Foundation, presenting an award to the best German and best North American uh, cartoonists every year since 1978, with one of his committee members being his descendant, Thomas Nass III. Of note, the word nasty does not originate from Thomas Nass's name, as that word had been recorded long before since the 1400s, with its origins being unknown. And that is a rambling and too brief biography of the great Thomas Nast, the creator of the modern political cartoon, along with numerous number of symbols that we take for granted today, from political parties to Christmas itself. He was a talent like no other, despite his bigotry in some areas, and cartoons to this day continue to uh, work in his shadow. I would like to thank the chief source for these episodes, Thomas Nast, political cartoonist by John Chalmers Vincent, a fantastic biography that with some beautiful reproductions of many of the Nash's best cartoons. A must-read for any cartoon fan.
My name is Mark McCrane. I'm the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. I'm Dan Klink, co-host of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives features programming trends from the 1966 television season all the way through the last hurrah of the early digital age of the 1990s. On the show, if it's animated, we talk about it. Order your signed copy today at tbsool.com. And listen to the podcast at esonetwork.com and all podcast platforms. Now it's September 7th, 2023. Time for the favorite comic book of the week. Birds of Prey, number one, by Kelly Thompson and Renono Leonardo Romero, which is a new uh, series that finds Black Canary assembling a new bird, Birds of Prey team, which is essentially the, some of the best uh, female DC uh, superheroes to go on a clandestine mission to save her sister, Sin. And this new team consists of uh, Cassandra Kane, Batgirl, Harley Quinn, Big Barda, and Zealot, who, of course, is originally from uh, the Wildcats uh, Wildstorm uh, universe, but now has been incorporated into DC. And uh, it's... And uh, yeah, it's slowly revealed as why she's sending this particular team, why they can't have Barbara Gordon Batgirl in this, and what the real mission is. Thompson does a great job just reestablishing these characters. It's, it's a great, like, almost like the, a woman on a mission story to getting the team together and going off to uh, do it. And also, there's a reason why they're all females as revealed in the end, too. And Romero's art has a great action-packed, almost cartoony style to it. You get to see, like, Cassandra Kane show off her fighting skills. And, uh, yeah, this looks to be a lot of fun. Like, it's great to see uh, the Birds of Play back again. It's always been one of DC's uh, better books when uh, done right. Uh, of course, the original was the original Oracle leading Huntress and Black Canary on their missions. And, yeah, great, great read in general. So you want to check out a new team book, uh, check out the Birds of Play number one. And with that, we'll conclude with this uh, biography of the life of Thomas Nash. Join me again next week for a new episode of the History of Comics podcast. And until then, go out and enjoy yourself a good comic book.